we all have a, a sense of a personal bubble. If I come too close to you, Doug, like if I go to Texas right now and I walk in a room, there's a socially acceptable distance where we can chat. Hey, man, what's up? Cool. Had a great day. Yeah, it was nice. Did a podcast with Sly. We had fun, blah, blah, blah. If I start getting a bit too close, you're like, hey, whoa, back up, man. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with this Canadian guy? Right? You have a personal sense of a bubble. Now, I spent a few years. I lived in Asia for a while. And in some countries, they have no concept of a personal bubble. That For them, their sense of self stops at some countries, stop at the skin, not everywhere. So when you're on stage, when people feel that, oh, my God, it's a contact sometimes. Can Think of it like an, a laser focus, like energy contact of the ex, ex, outside of their bubble and the energy of the crowd. That's where the thing is inside their mind. Now, flash, news flash, the bubble's not there. This is all imaginary. What story are you telling? Whether you're intentional about it or not, you have an audience and they think in story. The Doug Thompson podcast features diverse storytellers sharing their practical tips for telling the story they need others to envision and trust in order to take a new action. Here's your host, Doug Thompson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doug Thompson Podcast. I am your host, the Doug Thompson, or Doug Thompson. My mother calls me Doug Thompson, and I, I know I'm in trouble. So anyway, I with me this week, I've got a, a friend I've met uh, from Canada, and we'll just call him Sly because Texans butcher Canadian names, I think. How you doing, Sly? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for, thanks for having me. How you doing? I am better than I deserve. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got a really interesting story. I mean, you, you do so much stuff. Tell us a little bit about, about what you do today and we'll sort of what's been your journey to get here. What I'm doing today is I'm on the, the Doug. I like the, the part. This is my favorite. I loved it from the first thing I told you. Right. So it's a long thing, but to not start at the beginning, because that's boring. It started right around here, but in that direction, I was facing that direction. I was coaching my girlfriend for, a TV pilot. Uh, there was a thing here on the news in Canada called COVID. It stopped everything. I don't know if you had it in Texas. I heard in Texas, it, it depends on the states, of course. So anyway, we had a thing here. And um, all our shows got canceled. So our, our manager calls and said, okay, guys, we'll put you on TV. We'll put a TV show together. So instead of doing shows, we'll go on TV. It'll be a great way you know, to get the thing going. So I'm coaching my girlfriend on her stage presence or camera presence. And then she says, Doug, you don't know what it is to be shy. Then for us, I just kind of bit my lip for a second. And see, I'm used to people telling me that because before teaching civilians how to not suck on stage and deliver great presentations, I used to teach musicians how to not suck on stage. And they would tell it to me all the time. It's not fair because like, I have a small YouTube channel in French, like 5,000 uh, followers. And one of my videos is very popular. I have songs on the radio and stuff like that. So they were like, it's easy for you to say, you know, be confident on stage. You're a rock star, blah, blah, blah. I'm touring internationally, blah, blah, blah. Long story short. But my girlfriend, she knows I used to stutter like you see in the damn movies. You know, like I'm not kidding, Doug. Like, like asking my mom for salt was like, can you please pass me the salt in French? Petunpas said would be like, 
you, people just want to slap you in the back of the head. Get it out. It wouldn't come out. So when she said, you don't know what it is to be shy, it kind of kind of bit my lip there. Then when she saw, you know, the vein I'm all about to pop out and the, and the, the repressed rage, she said, well, how did you do it? So I traced back the steps in my mind of how I unconsciously got one time, kind of a miracle. We can go into it if you like, kind of a miracle where I went from totally shy to what I call Rockstar Presence, which is the name of the company. Rockstar Present Secrets, and then lost it again, made a fool of myself. And then over the next 30 years, step-by-step, step, consciously traced back the steps to now where a point where I can teach it. Like one of my students, well, students, clients, has his own TV show now. So it started from repressed rage. I love my girlfriend. I didn't want to hit her, but it was like, you know, I wouldn't, or I was not able to do that. But whenever you're trying to get someone to get on TV and speak better or get on stage, deliver a keynote or, or, or a presentation or a sales pitch or an eulogy, any type of public speaking situation, the natural reflex is for them to say, well, easy for you to say, right? I mean, you're good at this, but they don't know that I used to suck more than they feel right now. So it kind of started at that particular moment in this particular studio where we were training for a TV pilot. Now, the TV pilot never aired because COVID restrictions also messed up the TV industry. <laughs> no, I was in Texas, but here it affected a lot and it changed all the programming. But now COVID is tapering off. Shows are opening up again. TV productions are, you know, getting up again as well. But the thing is, there, there, there was like a bottleneck. So like a buffer in the chain. So now that everything that was planned that has been postponed. Well, now it's just happening two years later. So there's there's that. I don't know if it helps, but that's yeah. where I started. No, and it's it's a it's a great way to do that because I I have people I talk to very similar. You know, when I get up and give a presentation, it says is you know you don't understand. It's just easy for you, and and I it, it dawned on me, and this may be you mentioned you you found it, you lost it, you found it unconsciously, you lost it, and you came back in. I did a TED talk a couple of years ago. And I got on stage and, and I panicked. I had fear. I had not had that in 20 years of, of speaking in large audiences and stuff on that. And I'd forgotten about that. I, I had the tools to recover, but I, that initial, you know, five seconds seemed like 18 hours of torture. And it dawned on me that just because I've done it for a while, I need to be aware that there was a path that I took to get there, which I think is what consciously you now know how you got to where you were, but you had to deconstruct it. That time distortion effect, Doug, is what kills people. It's also what can save people. When you use that time distortion effect, so let's, I'm going to speak to John now. So we're on the, the Doug. Thompson podcast, we're helping a guy named John. So John, who's not aware of the time distortion effect, the first time it hits him, people experience that during car accidents. Time seems to stop. Anytime that there's a hardcore adrenaline rush or a boost where everything gets blown out of proportions, time seems to stop. This one time I was Hey, man, I was young. I was been in, I don't know, 12, 13. 
two boys that I was babysitting at the time. I was not on babysitting duty at that particular moment, but I knew them because I had babysat them. If that's even a word in English. Is is that the, the correct word? That's yeah, you babysat them. That's correct. Yeah, thanks. One of them was driving a lawn tractor. And then the other one was about to get run over by the lawn tractor that his big brother was driving. So in that instant, time stopped. I don't know what happened. No warm-up. I'm not a deadlift kind of guy at 12 or 13, scrawny kid. Immediately jumped, grabbed the tractor with the left hand. I swear to God, Doug. The feeling of the weight of that tractor was like picking up a Kleenex box and then pulling out the other one from underneath was like picking up a Kleenex from the box. Dropped it, left it there. That's the power. I call that using the power of show business. So that's the same energy that mothers lift cars because they're, 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 their kids are trapped underneath. So when you go on, someone goes on stage and they feel that rush of adrenaline time distortion and then the vision gets blurry and then you know like that like the like the lens the focus of your lens starts to shift and you see the microphone bigger and like oh then sounds go wow wow whoa. there's a bunch of phenomenons that go there if john if that's the first time he experiences that he's freaking out you've experienced it once you know what it is i got tricks tools and tips i teach him how to pee. i teach people actually how to use that how to prepare for it but now this is how it can, you know, kill you. But how it can save you is that if you know how to use that and you're on stage, you use it to create that effect calmly in people. So they feel at certain points in your presentation, I call them money shots, you have spaces where, well, I, you know, as you know, I come from show business. So we create magic moments in, in the show. So there's like a song, right? And then it, there's a build up, and then it goes... Bing, there's a note or there's something and then it's time with the lights. So we don't have the lights and the show business aspect, but we frame the structures and the presentations in a way where you can create moments where it's as if for the audience, time stopped. Now, the traditional tricks are, you know, breathe deep. Breathe deep, imagine people naked, look over at the audience, don't look at them. That way, you know, it, most of the traditional tricks to me almost seem like for people who have never experienced that, it, it gets, it, it's big, it's huge, it's bigger than sometimes your personality. So you need deeper tools to deal with that, but I'm great. I, I, I mean, I'm glad you had it, glad you got over it. Now that you got over it once, if ever it happens again, you feel like you're bulletproof, right? Yeah, we'll come up with the next TED talk and we'll see if it re if it repeats itself. <laughs> I you know, I had put so much pressure on myself in that in that case I was my own worst enemy and I was playing the movie in my head. You know, I was played by Bruce Willis, you know, before his channel, you know, so I was I was all in there. And <laughs> you know, when I went to execute Bruce didn't show Bruce was not showing up. Um and, and again, I'd had it 20 years ago, and over time, I'd just sort of gone over it. But you're right, the the adrenaline, the, the the point there, fear and excitement are basically the same chemical. It's sort of the frame of mind that you have, which way you channel it. And it sounds like you've tapped into a mechanism to do that more reliably. There's, um, I've interviewed 30 experts in the field of public speaking. 
And I ask him all the same question. First, first question. Why do most speeches suck so bad? <laughs> that was the first question for everyone. The one who got, and I was trying to, this is a bad, uh, John, speaking to John, the audience, if ever you're doing a podcast or interview subjects, this was a, one of my mistakes. I was trying to get them to say what I wanted them to say. Bad idea. Okay. So that was the first question and everything else was just free flowing. If it were to be done again, I would not do that. But the first question was always the same. And the only person who got it right, not to mean that I said that it is right, but what I wanted to say, the only guy who got it right, boom, first time, like no hesitation, was Steve Lowell, the president of the Global Speakers Association. And he narrowed it down immediately. People were saying something like, you know, practice. And he immediately he said, no, it's just the confidence of the messenger. Simple as that. Here's the thing. You're either fearful or you're thinking biologically. You Now, unless you are a trained special op, marine, SEALs, heavy duty, black ops kind of guy, you know, unless you're that type of person, you're either fearful or you're thinking. Now, there's people who go there and say, you know, fake it till you make it. Puff your chest up, do your shoulders high, do all these type of, of bodily mechanisms to try to hack your way into it. Well, unless you are a trained spy or a professionally trained actor or someone who's really good with that, everyone can sniff that a mile away. Don't do that as well. You want to work on the baseline, bottom line confidence. The the type of stuff you work, like you wake up in the morning with. If the base, if like I, I call it baseline confidence, something you can really push off of. If that's not there, if there's any type of trickery you need to do to get your, if you need to drink your confidence or smoke your or sniff your confidence, you're not in the right ball game. The baseline confidence, once that's established, then you have something, a base to push off of. Now, this is baseline confidence. Now, a lot of people think that charisma is some sort of thing that's a magical thing that some people have, some people don't. In our system, it's just a Thursday. It's just step two in the system. It's just what it is. But you can't layer on charisma if you don't have confidence. Because charisma is confidence, a baseline, not any type of fake of stuff or any type of trick. A baseline confidence layered with a messaging that is aligned with the audience's best interest, I have a process called Steve Jobsifying the message. So for example, nobody knows what type of screw holds an iPad together, or nobody knows what type of processor is in the Mac really, but everybody knows that if Gandhi would have had a computer, it would have been a Mac, or you know, like here's to the crazy ones and the rebels. And so he's identifying big ideas and subjects and tying them into the identity of the people. So when you have enough baseline confidence and you can tie that to what we call charismatic messaging, then you get just charisma. And then when you, when you tie that into a bunch of other stuff with the rock star tricks, then you go to presence on stage. But if you, the same as you don't work on the delivery of a message, if the message itself is weak, you know, if the logical and structure and emotional components of the message are not well put together. You don't work on the delivery of that. 
Well, you don't work on the message if the messenger can't carry the weight of the message for multiple reasons. One being even before the stage, because public speaking game is won or lost before you even open your mouth. If you're not confident, when you're preparing secretly your message behind a closed door, if you're too small of a person inside your own mind, if you're feeling weak and small and not confident, you're almost excusing yourself while writing your message. Like there's an old saying in, in direct response copywriting circles. They would hire copywriters to write a 16 or 20 page sales letter, right? They would get the letter. They would just tear the two first pages. They say, that's just the copywriter clearing his throat. So the, the, the construction of the message, the angle you come at it with needs to be built off of a stable base of confidence. So no amount of trickery. Now, I've spoken to a bunch of people that I, that I love, admire, uh, respect. And when I hear someone say, and this is a common belief in speaking circles, um, fear and excitement are the same thing. It's just a matter of positive. They say something like fear is like excitement, but negative and excitement is like fear, but positive. Man. These people have not lived what you went through. W would you say that your five seconds of panic was excitement on stage? Uh, <laughs> no, but I had to, <laughs> I had to flip this this flow of the uh, the flow of the chemicals. Let's just say that one. It yeah. wasn't. But but you but you do. I knew I had the base. I knew I had the message was good and all that. So it's just the you know again not been not being a trained operator combat's here holy crap i've got to go ahead and do something this is real it's not going like i had it in my head breathe you know i did take a breath then i would jump into what i i relied on the base and the other things that i knew i could execute on right and for me that's the way that worked also you you told me you have been pre putting a lot of pressure on yourself maybe in some cases I don't wasn't there but in some cases it's just the pressure leaving it's just the pressure like having a set point of okay now it's now it's coming snapping back into reality oh shit I'm here now and then the bubbles here I I didn't want to go to there but I have to go so it's called the presence of the messenger so here's here's the layering of the cake First, there's the confidence of the messenger itself. So in my system, you don't even get to open your mouth until you're confident. Most systems put confidence at the end. Here's, you know, most systems. So the first systems is here's what to say, a bit of how to say it, then go out there and practice, which is also called public humiliation. <laughs> Just go there and practice until you get good at that talk, which is pretty much what it is. And then what, what, what happens with this is you will gain confidence in that one talk you practiced. My system is totally opposite. No, no, no. You don't even get to open your mouth before you're confident. confident. You, you don't even get to write a word of an idea of a drawing of a mind map of a beginning of a speech before you're at least seven to eight confident on a scale to, from one to 10 because it will mess up your messaging. So then we move on to charisma, which is the messaging part. Tie that in, blah, blah, blah. Long story short. Now the presence of the messenger. Here's the formula for presence, which, by the way, I've had these panic attacks on stage, like the one that, that, that you have. I know what it is. Here's the formula. The exact presence, because in that moment, if we, if we were to take, take like a, a, a snapshot or just a, a video 
from the side of someone having a panic attack like that for five seconds on stage, that person in that five seconds does not have the most rock star presence on the stage, right? It's like, it's going in. It's a crumb, like, like, like the inception inside. Well, there you go. So the formula is the exact percentage of your awareness that is inwardly focused dims the dimmer of your presence. So your stage presence is dimmed by the exact percentage that your awareness is focused internally. Now, you with the wherewithal, the experience, the balls, the know-how, the, the, the bravado in the moment, the, uh, you know, just I'm a muscle through this. You had the wherewithal to breathe and shift the chemicals. That's just you went back to external focus. So when, so if 100% of your focus is external, meaning you look at them, you feel them, they perceive that person on stage as having great presence. They call it stage presence. That's what it is. And if that person is on stage wondering, here's a simple thought. Is my fly open? Am I good enough? Is Bob impressed? Is, 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 is my voice good enough? Did I say that right? Hey, that's not what I'm going to say. Anything that is internal, meaning me, 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 it switches because there. now, if you, now that's a, a big thing, Doug. A lot of people, one of their subconscious unsaid strategies is to impress people on stage. Feel good, look good impress someone in particular a lot of times someone in particular and some people someone who's not even in the room a lot of people want to impress someone they have someone in mind that from 10 years ago did something bad and they're still trying to so they're impressing someone that's not there so anyway so that means if that's part of the strategy there needs to be a part of your awareness that is split outside from whatever you're doing and that has a feedback loop to check if it's working so there's the person for TED Talks. It's horrible because one, they memorize. So it, it's a performance of memorization, stressed out, and a feedback loop of impressing someone. So the mind is juggling three balls. Meanwhile, the, the, he's trying to say what he's supposed to say on cue, on point, with the commas at the right place because it's memorized. It's horrible. So. In that moment, the presence of the messenger, here's the thing, just, just to give a, a, a quick uh, glimpse into what happened the first time that kicked in for me. It was the first time that I felt, you know, like we all have a, a sense of a personal bubble. If I come too close to you, Doug, like if I go to Texas right now and I walk in a room, there's a socially acceptable distance where we can chat. Hey, man, what's up? Cool. Had a great day. Yeah, it was nice. Did a podcast with Sly. We had fun, blah, blah, blah. If I start getting a bit too close, you're like, hey, whoa, back up, man. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with this Canadian guy, right? You have a personal sense of a bubble. Now, I spent a few years, uh, I lived in Asia for a while. And in some countries, they have no concept of a personal bubble. That For them, their sense of self stops at some countries, stop at the skin, not everywhere. So when you're on stage, when people feel that, oh my God, it's a contact sometimes. Can think of it like an, a laser focus, like energy contact of the ex, ex, outside of their bubble and the energy of the crowd. That's where the thing is inside their mind. Now, flash, news flash, the bubble's not there. This is all imaginary. Now, that being said, if you're imaginary bubble, 
somehow, because you worked with me or some other way or some other people, your bubble is bigger than the audience and your bubble is bigger than the room. Well, then two things happen. One, you don't have that hitting effect on you. So you don't feel like when there's no ice, you don't need an icebreaker at the beginning of your talk. So when your bubble is bigger than the audience, they're sitting in it. So one, you feel comfortable, they feel comfortable. And two, it's easier to bring them along wherever you're going because they're sitting inside your energetic bubble. So they feel seen, they feel heard, they feel understood because you look at them, you feel them, they're in your bubble and you listen to them rather than you on the stage trying, have I been heard? Have I, you know, did you understand? No, no, they get to feel understood. So that's my two cents about the bubble. Well, that was about $5 worth. So, I mean, that was actually really good. Uh, you, you hit up on I, several things in here. And I didn't want to air it because you were really had a good flow going on. You know, the memorization piece, that was one of the things I struggled with the most because I had to do it the same way twice. So we had a dress rehearsal and we had the other one. Had it. I've never done the same talk exactly the same in my life. I mean, I've, I've had, here's the theme, here's the message. But based on the audience, again, the outward face, it, it'll take a different track. Somebody to come up, the news will change or something that'll make, make it a little bit more topical. So it's very, I put here's bullet points and then I sort of build upon those things, right? So, you know, much like the point you just said, you had a lot of these, you have these discussions all the time. So you're able to pull those out. That set me back inside focus. I, I, I think you were spot on focusing inside rather than outside. Because when I give a talk, presentation, whatever, be it 20 minutes, be it two hours, I'm exhausted at the end of it because I've given so much energy to the audience. I'm, I'm walking in for, there's there's that, you know, I'm bringing them into my bubble, like you're saying. I can actually feel that going back in reflection and having that because it, it's the rock, you know, Bob Seeker, you know, every ounce of energy you give away. You know, that's very true, the, the, this, the song with that. So I think that, that once I got into that, where I'd invited the audience in, broke the other stuff down, um, and if I can impact what my, my whole goal of a talk is to impact at least one person's life. If one person comes up, makes a comment, does something, then the, everything was worth it. Cause really that's the focus. It's not about me. It's about that. So I think you hit upon all the things that I normally do that I forgot about when I had to memorize and stay within this six foot red circle, which by the way, don't wear red shoes on red carpet. Cause it looks like you're floating. <laughs> you're floating. <laughs> <On that. laughs> Oh, my sympathies, Doug. I just wrote a note down. says, my sympathies. You had to memorize the thing twice. Good Lord. Yeah, I, that's same why I'm not an actor. Twice. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't memorize. I can't read a teleprompter, and I can't memorize. Most people who have done TED Talks, TEDx Talks, you don't have to memorize them. But especially now, and it even got worse. With TED now, you have to not only memorize your thing, in advance, you have to send the exact word for word script of what you're going to be saying. Good yeah. lord! This was a and, TED. And, this was a TEDx, so I had to do it at that too. So yeah. Oh yeah. So so for most, uh, not most, but at least five people that I've heard of say that it was great. Glad I did it. We'll never do that again. The TED thing, but they, I think they were they were TEDx though. But the, the specific story where they had to send in advance the slides, the word-for-word -word script. So this means the person is on stage, 
and is not doing a talk. The person on stage is performing a memorization act. Now, for people who need memorization tricks, uh, uh, this weekend I'm speaking with the, uh, the eight-time world memory champion, Dominic O'Brien, this weekend. So he, this guy's got memory tricks, right? I mean, these guys remember a bunch of story, numbers and stuff. The basic, I'm not a memory expert at all, but I know the basic gist of it is the memory palace. So since you can't move on the red square, that's another story. But when anyone can move on a regular stage, I just had people memorize holograms that represent the stories they have to go tell. So when you color code that, it's easy. If one person just steps inside the everything's imaginary. They they just step into like a hologram or an imaginary circle that they associated to the stories that they're telling. And in the memory palace technique, what they do is they they make up anything that's weird and out of place, like a one-legged purple elephant juggling cats. You know, something that sticks out. You just put that there, even if it's you're not a great visualizer. The image gives you the prompt of the story you're supposed to be telling. But my sympathy is really for twice in a row. <laughs> well, to your to your point, I do the I don't have a palace per se, but on my slides, they're usually pictures or one word that has the same effect. That is sort of the the you know, it it does that whole thing for me. I created a, I created a system based on uh, the twelve bar blues progression for speeches. I was um, at the Mont Tremblant International Blues Festival there, and um, I was playing in the afternoon on the big stage outside. And during my break, it, since it's a ski station, uh, I was on the how, how do you call the thing that like the chairlift? I was on the chairlift. And then I was looking, looking at all the like, sea of people from all over the world came to hear the blues. Now, the blues, if you know anything about the blues, it's three chords. There's a specific it's three chords in a specific order. One, four, five, one, five, four, one, five, then again. Specific order. If you mess with that, people go, hey, no jazz. So as musicians, we want to throw in stuff that we know. We work on complicated stuff and blah, blah, blah. And we try to throw that in the audience as, hey, no jazz. If you want jazz, we would have come to the jazz festival. You stick to the formula. All right, kid? Okay, sir, no problem. We'll just stick to the blues. So that's the formula. So I developed a formula based on that for public speaking that allows people to not memorize anything but never forget anything. It's based on sandwiches. So once someone figures out – so. If it say it, it's an eulogy, what they want people to do at the end of their eulogy is forgive Uncle Larry or mend the broken heart of some type of thing or feel better about this, this, and that, depending on the beliefs. So some cultures believe that is a bad thing. Some people that's a good thing, whatever it is, right? So you want them to do something at the end. If it's a sales pitch, you want them to buy. If it's a lead generation video, you want them to click or download or swipe, whatever it is. So you go from, okay, well, why wouldn't they do that? Well, they wouldn't do that because of X, 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 12 or 200 reasons. Then you chunk these reasons into categories of objections. Then you end up with three categories of objections or four. For every category of, of objection, you think back, okay, when in my life did I have a story, a movie, something that happened to me that made me shift the beliefs that are inherent to that objection, right? 
Then we go a few levels up, why, 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 until you hit like, oh my God, I got it. So now let's say it's the time where you were at uh, your grandma's place and then there was uh, the thing about the cookie. So on your preparation sheet, it says grandma cookie. See, now the grandma cookie story, you can tell in 30 seconds, you can tell in three minutes, you can tell in 30 minutes if you have to. By filling in the blank, what was happening at that time, who was on TV, what was the show, what you were wearing, or just, you know, there was grandma, made a cookie, then somebody threw up, right? But so you have one category of objection, which is emphasized or debunked by the grandma cookie story. Then you need another one to sandwich it properly. So another story. So the other story was like, uh, I don't know, let's say it was a time where uh, just skateboard story. You still ask over it, and then you, something happened, and then you realize the purpose of life is to not hit your face on cement, whatever it was. So there's an objection, then you make a sandwich, right? So you write the objection here, and you make a sandwich. So the grandma cookie and then skateboard. That's it. So when you go there, you don't, you're not memorizing texts and words and what to say and blah, blah, blah. You, you, so there's, you can visualize in the memory palace thing or with your slides, they're just, you know, an elephant and uh, a cookie and that's your cue. And that's how you go and you keep it. So two stories, sandwich, one objections, and then you put a money shot, which is another story. And then another sandwich for another objection. And you have three like this for a 45 minute talk. One, if, if it's a five minute video, a YouTube lead generation thing, uh, a short, a short type of segment, it's one objections, two sandwiches, and a money shot. And you're done. Call to action, click, swipe, download, vote. Think hard about, because <laughs> it's coming there, right? The metaverse and the, the goggles, at one point, it'll just be think about this, and it'll just pop up. So th that, that way, people can cram a bunch of meaningful experiences that change deep-rooted beliefs that speak to the heart of an objection that prevents them to, from doing what you want them to do. Easily, no memorization. Plus, you get to throw in different stories, and what now? You now you start the combina combination of them. The, the grandma cookie story goes with the cookie monster story. Goes with the time you went to Disney, and all of a sudden you got like <clears throat> all you can eat. No memorization, and you just follow the formula, like the blues progression. Yeah. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> cookie monster cookie you made, you made me hunt cookies and sandwiches because it's getting towards the end of the day so that that is that is a taste of your of the work that you can do with people i mean i think it's fantastic i took a whole lot out of this discussion um you know the, to, to be able to break down a story as you say you know you can build confidence should come very early on it's not because again you've fallen down skint your knees so many times it's you've got confidence early on i like that bringing that up to there uh, earlier on in the process. And and I love your progression to do that. And, and the blues was a great, the blues was a great, <laughs> great. We don't want jazz. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah, no, it, like, no, people literally say that no jazz. They really did. They really say that. <laughs> That's Good amazing. Lord. So what, what's the best way for people that, that they want to learn to be better, get more confidence, you know, uh, say that it's, you know, so they can, people can say of you that it's easy for you because you're a rock star. How's the best way to get a hold of you? Best way to get a hold of me if you're listening to this, to this like uh, on audio form, you type in nextlevelpublicspeaking.com. 
as it's written. And if you're watching this audio form or you, there's a link where you can click, just click on the link in the show notes and it will give you, you can download a checklist. I call it your personal safe face insurance policy. Now, Doug, there's 17 items on the checklist, okay? If you, if John, the audience, if you can check the first one on that list, you're 80% of the way there in one second. If you cannot check the first one on the list, stop there. Don't mess with anything else it, because it's it, it'll affect everything else downstream. Check that first one, you're 80% of the way there. If you can't check it, you also get three imposter syndrome crushers, and I'll send you also a thing called the nine most expensive speaking mistakes you're probably making and how to avoid them for free. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm definitely going to sign up for that because, you know, again, you're a great teacher. I learned a lot from the podcast, the time we spent together. And don't be surprised if you have an inbound for me. Hey, I've got a TED Talk. Please talk me out of it. Again. <laughs> <laughs> again. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. What I love about being French, Canadian, and doing interviews like this is I get to hear expressions for the first time that for you is like old news. I'm freaking out. I just learned a new one today. That's going to give you an example. The first time I heard all that in a bag of chips was just a few months ago. I I thought it was the best thing ever. Now, I just heard today, skinned your knees. I never heard that expression. Oh, I can, sh- I can show you I the scars. <laughs> Sorry? I can show you the scars. It, it comes from falling off the skateboard story. So. <laughs> oh, man, I love that. I never heard that. So this one, yeah, I just wrote it down. Learn something new every day. Well, that's what we're all here for is to learn something new every day. And you, my friend, you're going back to the way when I want to speak to people, you've impacted me in a positive way of where there'll be some different actions taken. So thank you for, for your help. You're being a guest on here and good luck. Uh, good luck this weekend with the memorization because I've seen those guys and they're amazing. Yeah, it's a, uh, there's a memorization expert. There's a note taking expert. There's a how to deal with bully expert and a public speaking expert, which is me. And it's for the kids. Cool. So how to deal with bullies, how to memorize stuff, how to yeah. take notes and then how to speak. Yeah, that's what we really needed back in schools is they don't have that. And the smartphone was the worst invention ever for degrading our ability to communicate with other people. My lord. <laughs> you know what I did with, with you know what I did with my cell phone, Doug? In 2012, I put the phone and the charger in a plastic bag and I left it there. So 2020 yeah, so in December it'll be ten years. Wow, I uh, I I have to <laughs> surgically remove that from my body at the moment. So, thanks a lot, Sly. Have a great weekend. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Bye, everybody. Bye.